If you don't mind, just remain standing with me for this reading. And immediately after this, you could take your seats. Our text this morning uh, is one of three texts that we'll be looking at, but I want to use this text as a launching pad for our message on today. John chapter 9, reading from verses 1, and we will end at verse number 7. That's John, the Gospel of John chapter 9, reading from verse 1 and following. It says, and I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. And as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned that this man, uh, who sinned that this man or his parents that he should be born blind? And Jesus answered, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. For night is coming where no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse number six. And when he had said this, he spat on the ground made clay of the spittle or spit and applied the clay to his eyes. Let me repeat that one more time. He spat on the ground. He made clay of the spittle and applied the clay to his eyes. Verse 7 would conclude and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent, so he went away and washed and came back seeing. You may have your seats at this time. I want to talk to you this morning on the topic or from the topic when God plays in the dirt. When God plays in the dirt. I don't know if my accent is being problematic there, but when God plays, let me try to do this right, in the dirt. <laughs> Everyone, church, family, friends, and loved ones doesn't see things the same. When we think about the subject matter of dirt, not everyone, if we are to be honest, sees dirt the same way. The germaphobe sees dirt as a sure source of sickness and ultimate death, while the farmer sees it as a source of food, sustenance, and life. A maid looks at dirt and sees an unwelcome guest that needs to be shown the exit, while the explorer sees it as a travel companion that is there with you every single step of the way. A parent looks at dirt and they see a massive cleanup opportunity, 
While a child looks at dirt and they see an amusement park with countless rides to be had. I'm just trying to help us to see that we all don't see things at times the same way. The beautician looks at dirt and to her it or, or him, it's an absolute pain. But the builder looks at the said dirt and they see a great payday. The point I'm trying to make is that one person might look at dirt and not see its value while someone else looks at it and they do. As human beings, we understand that something has great value to us based on what it does or can do for us. But God ascribes value to a thing based on what he can do for it and with it. Let me, let me repeat that one more time. As human beings, we understand that something has value to us based on what it does or can do for us. But God ascribes value to a thing or a person based on what he can do for it and with it. Dare I even say through it. I'm specifically narrowing my vision this morning on dirt because of its use in our text and also throughout the use of scripture. Just stay with me for a little bit. Dirt is used many a times in a literal sense as physical dirt. But sometimes we would encounter dirt being used in scripture and it's also used as a symbolic terminology or talking point. But in our language as well, not only do we recognize the literal nature of dirt or the symbolic nature of dirt, but we even recognize that we use dirt, the word dirt, in a metaphoric sense as far as worth or a thing's worth is concerned. And as we know, God will use something that is physical in nature to teach us something that is spiritual in value. There is a lot going on in our text. In John chapter number 9 particularly, there is a lot going on in our text. But, but God uses, and I want us to see this, that God's use of dirt here is very much intriguing to me. And if you allow me just for a moment to share some of these thoughts from some of these texts that we would look at. I want to just take my time in, in identifying some things that we see within the confines of John chapter 9 and two other scriptures that we would ultimately look at. But as we look at this particular text, I want us to look at this text from the vantage point of the title, as I've, as, as I've said before, when God plays in the dirt. When God plays in the dirt, as we look at John chapter number 9, I want to conclude really quickly that when God plays in the dirt, he is able to bring vision or sight to those who are blind. It's amazing to me that God would use something that would easily hinder one's vision as a medium to grant said vision. I want you to notice in the text, come with me into John chapter number 9, and, 
And I want you to look at verse number six a little bit more intently. And, and I know, as I said before, there is a lot going on in our text. Uh, there's, there's a lot of theological uh, implications to our text. But I want to look specifically at a simple scenario where Jesus encounters a man who was blind. And in the healing process, God or Jesus uses spittle and dirt as a means to bring healing or sight to one who did not have any sight. And so I'm using this idea of dirt in a very, in the most simplistic way that I can as we approach this particular text. But I want you to note this. In verse number six, it said, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and he made clear with the saliva or his saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Is that in your Bible? It said, as Jesus prepared to heal this man of his impediment, as Jesus prepared to heal this man of his ailment, as Jesus prepared to heal this man of his blindness, his lack of vision, it says that he spat on the ground. And as he spat on the ground, he literally takes his hand and he has to form the, the spit and the dirt into what the, 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 the scripture defines as a clay type material. So the spit and the clay and the dirt, sorry, comes together with the, the master's hand. And then he takes the product of that spit and dirt combined together. And he puts it on the eyes of the blind man. Now, in our thinking... Oftentimes we equate, if somebody has to put a salve or a balm in our eyes, we, we automatically think that we have to close our eyelids. But I want us to appreciate that this man being blind, the only reason why we close our eyes when somebody is, is preparing to put their hands close to our face is because there is a reaction that happens. It doesn't matter how hard you try. If, once my, my hands are coming close to your eyes, there is a reaction that takes place. Because of the ability to see. Follow me on this. But when you're talking about somebody who didn't have the capacity to, to see anything, he doesn't know when or how Jesus is approaching him. So could you imagine Jesus as he takes this, this, this clay type material that he would have made from the dust and from the spittle that he puts together and he places it on the man's eye. Notice in our thinking we would think that he would have to close his eyelids. But the scripture doesn't say that. The scripture says Jesus, as he takes this concoction, that's a good word there, as he takes this concoction, all he does is he rubs it into the man's eye. The thing that would normally hinder his vision. Under normal circumstances, Jesus is able to take and, and bring healing and vision to one who was once blind. Could I... Could I share something really quick here with us as, as, as we think about the implications of this text? Church, I want us to appreciate the thing that would normally trip up the average, the average human being to the one who is a believer, to the one who places his or her lives and confidence in the hand of Jesus. Jesus is able to take that same thing that should have hindered you, that should have killed you, that should have caused obscurity in your eyes to bring clarity into your life. Isn't it true sometimes that we gain more clarity after a breakup? 
Isn't it true sometimes that we gain more clarity after we mess up? Isn't it true sometimes that we gain more insight and, and a greater and deeper perspective after things have gone awry or astray? Jesus, God, is able to take that which should have tripped us up to bring about in his hands and in his hands only. It's able to bring about a sense of clarity and a sense of vision, the likes of which we have never experienced before. So it never said that he closed his eyes. It, it said, however, that Jesus applied this clay to his eye. Notice this. The power wasn't in the dirt. The power, however, was in the God who applied it. Let me repeat that one more time. The power is not in the dirt. That was just the medium God used. But rather the real power was in the one who applied the dirt to the blind man's eyes. Situations very well have the ability to hinder us and to, to kill us. But in, in God's hands, applied rightly, is able to free us and to make us whole. I want you to come with me now into the book of John chapter number 8. And as you think about what's happening in John chapter number 8, not only when God plays in the dirt, is he able to bring sight to the blind. Sight there being clarity of vision, clarity of purpose, being, being, being illuminated or enlightened. Not only is Jesus able to bring enlightenment and clarity but number two as we look at John chapter number eight he is able to bring a stop to people's stones he's able to bring a stop to people's stones watch this with me as we continue in in verse number one of chapter number eight but Jesus went to the mount of olives now early in the morning he came again into the temple and, and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman who was caught in adultery. And when they had set her in, in his midst, watch this, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act of the deed. Now Moses in the law commanded us that, that such should be stoned. But what do you say? Pay close attention now, church, to, to, the, to the next series of events. They, this they said, testing him that uh, they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus, he stood down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them and when they they continued asking him he raised himself up and said to them he who is without sin amongst you let him cast the first stone and again he stooped down and wrote in the ground it is said if we think about this text we when Jesus writes or plays in the dirt it brings us stop to stones I want to 
I want to just share my thoughts on this because it is said that there are some things that act as the great equalizer for all of human beings. I just want to mention two. Number one, the great equalizer for every human being, man, woman, child, rich, poor, or indifferent, the greatest, one of the greatest equalizers that we will encounter in this life is death. Death does not respect whether you are young or you are old. Death does not respect whether you are rich or you are poor. Death does not respect whether you live in Antioch or Brentwood. Death does not respect whether you are a U.S. citizen or whether you live in a communist country. Death does not respect whether you have a degree or a, a Ph.D. or you didn't even make it through high school. Death is no respecter of persons. Even the rich end up in a casket. He, as the poor would. Death is the great, one of the greatest equalizers of, of human beings. We would all, unless Christ return, we will all face a reality with death. So if we think about that, from the moment we are born and we've been blessed with the breath of life, from the time we are born and we gain, we gain a, a reasonable sense of understanding, it's, it's a life that's filled of making choices in the sight of God that when we get to the point of death, depending on the choices that we have made and the partnership that we have with God, ultimately when death hits our door, we are assured for those who are found in Christ, we are assured of reigning with him for eternity. So death church is the great or one of the greatest equalizers of, of human beings. Everybody is going to have to face death at some point. But then according to the scripture, like many other scriptures, we would find another great equalizer, something that should help bring us and put us on the same plane every single time we, we want to have the tendency to see ourselves as better than somebody else, is the reality that we all have sin. Watch how this works. When these individuals approach Jesus, of course they are coming to Jesus with a motive and, and with an intention in mind. But what Jesus does is he does something that brings all of them and puts them on the same plane to where nobody could condemn anybody. So when God plays in the dirt in this instance, Jesus, he, he hears their complaint and the scripture says he bows himself down. He, he goes down to the dirt and he begins writing with his finger on the ground. Here we find what most theologians would call a principle or the law of first mention. It's a hermeneutical principle that, that says this is a good way or a practice for us to interpret what's going on in a text. So when sometimes you find something, sometimes it's a word or it's a phrase that's contained in one text, try to go back in previous texts to see where was the first place this word or this phrase was mentioned. As we think about anything about God writing in any dirt, the first place we find that is actually in Exodus chapter number 20, where God is giving Moses the, 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 the commandment, the ten commandments. And, and notice what Jesus said. If this, if this principle is true here as some type of uh, medium for us to decipher what's taking place in the text, notice Jesus bows himself twice, right? 
And so if we have to follow the principle of, of the law of first mention, the first time Jesus bends down, just this is an assumption now, this is not fact, but I'm saying, if we follow the principle of, of, of the law of first mention, when Jesus bowed himself the first time, if he is alluding to what he did, the first time he wrote anything, we would have the first five laws of the commandments. What are those first five laws, Brother Morgan? Well, have no other gods beside me. He would say, well, number two, have no idols, nor any likeness thereof. Number three, don't take the Lord's name in vain. What's number four, Brother Morgan? Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. What's number five? Honor your father and your mother. So Jesus bows himself down, and if you follow the law of, of, of first mention, it, we, we could conclude that he would have written down in, in the dirt the first five commandments that God would have given to Moses on the tables of stone. But then what does he write the second time? Well, if we continue on with the premise, and if we continue on with the ideology and the idea of the law of first mention, the second half of the law is probably what he would have bowed down and written. Notice the list as he bent, bends down the second time after telling them that he who is without sin cast the first stone. Number six, do not commit murder. Number seven, do not commit adultery. That's this woman, Jesus. Okay, great. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. How about number nine? Thou shalt not bear false witness. And of course, number ten, don't covet what your neighbor has in their possession. The scripture says if we follow the hermeneutical principle, that if it is likely that when Jesus bowed himself down the first time, he wrote down the first five commandments, he bent himself, straightened himself back up, and then he said to the crowd, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. The crowd was still present, and he bends himself down the second time, and he begins to write, if we follow the principle, the second five commandments, when they saw false witness, you could imagine why it is stones would have begun to drop. The point I'm trying to make is this, when when God plays in the dirt, he has the ability to bring us up off of our high horses and bring us in a position where we are able to view human beings the exact same way we need to be viewing ourselves. We don't have any stones to be able to launch at anybody. When God plays in the dirt, he brings us to a true place of equality. When God plays in the dirt, he has the ability to put all of us on the same plane. I know sometimes the tendency is we want to think and view ourselves as better than somebody else, but the truth is we are all, say it with me, sinners. The only difference between the saint and the sinner, if I'm being honest with you, is the fact that we've accepted God's grace and his compassion, but God's grace and compassion is still there for every single person that has yet to accept Jesus as their personal 
Lord and Savior. So we may have gotten in first, but it doesn't stop God's grace and his compassion and his forgiveness from being out there in the world for everybody who have yet to say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There are murderers out there that God's grace is still there for. There are pedophiles out there that God's grace is still there for. There are all types of sinners out there that God's grace is still there for, but because we have become a little bit clean, doesn't mean that you and I still don't fall prey to sin. Because if we're honest with ourselves, even Christians sin from time to time. So the only difference, church, if I'm being honest, between saint and sinner is God's grace and his compassion. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of, of the glory of God. So not only if, if I get to my third point, not only when God plays in the dirt, does he bring sight and clarity. Not only when God plays in the dirt, does he stop stones from being thrown. But number three, when God plays in the dirt, I want us, I want us to see that he brings life to that which is lifeless. He brings life to that which is lifeless. With the last few minutes that I have, I want to beg your attention with me into the book of Genesis chapter number 2. Genesis chapter number 2. I want to try and do this really quick, and I hope the exhortation would not have fallen on deaf ears. In Genesis chapter number 2, I want us to see where, where we came from. And, and, and whether you, 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 you want to take this ultra-literally or you want to see this as a convention of literature, there are different ways in which people read and they interpret Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. I am not one of those that believe that the Bible is meant to go against scientific findings. I don't even believe that the Bible in itself is a scientific book. But I do believe that there are attributes in the Bible that we do find or, or that science and other forms of, of, of fields could illuminate and if not help us on. But, but what I'm trying to say is that you could either read Genesis 1 in a very literal sense, chapters 1, 2, and 3, or you could see it from a literary standpoint, a convention of writing or literature. But in Genesis chapter number 2, we have what might be considered by some as a retelling of the creation account. I, I promise you, church, I'm almost done. This is my last point, and if you just stay with me for a few minutes, we'll We'll be done. Some might say this is a retelling of the creation, a creation account, whereas some would, would claim, well, this is just a, a contextualization. In other words, we have a, 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 a creation account in chapter number one, but now in chapter number two, there is a development of that creation account, so there is more context to work with. So there is a conceptualization that we find in chapter number two, whereas some say that there is a total retelling of chapter number one in chapter number two. But I want us to note something here really quickly. 
that I think is, is going to be invaluable to us as we recognize the beauty and the dignity of when God plays in the dirt. This is the history from verse number four of chapter number two of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from the earth and watered the entire face of the ground and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the scripture would, would conclude that man became a living soul. Let me repeat that one more time. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The word form there gives the idea, and there are several senses in which the word formed is, is defined, but but one of the ways in which it gives a good sense, it gives the sense of, of, of one who is a potter and he is fashioning clay into something. In other words, in order for a pot or a cup or a saucer to be produced, a potter has to get involved and the potter, not the clay, is the one that forms and fashions the clay into what the potter deduces the potter wants. So the scripture says, God formed man. He, he had to get down in the dirt to do this. So by the time you see Jesus in John chapter number 9 spitting and making clay out of dirt, and passing it on somebody's eyes is because Jesus already knew how to form man from even the very creation. This was not anything new to Jesus. As a matter of fact, you remember in John chapter number one, when he's associated as being the word who was with God and the word who was God, the scripture according to John says, everything was created by him and without him was not anything made that was made. So Jesus knew how to make things. Jesus knew how to make man. Jesus knew how to heal man. If we have an issue, I'm telling you, we just need to recognize the one who is able to take care of those needs. But that's not even my point. Just watch this and I'll be done. The scripture says that, G that God formed man from the dust of the ground. But up until that point, all you had, if we're just following this in, this, in, 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 in context, all you have is a body that's been created. But when God plays in the dirt, not only does he have the ability to create, but he also has the ability to give life. You could create something and it be lifeless, but then you have to put life into that thing that has no life. 
So, so God has to not only form the man, and the man here is indicative of the male, Adam. Not even going to go there, but, but he has to form the man, but then he has to breathe into Adam the breath of life. That tells me something. It tells me that if I understand where I came from as a human being, in chapter number three, when he, when he passes down judgment on the serpent, the woman, and, and then later on on the man, he would tell the man, listen, I want you to understand something, Adam, because of what you have done, the ground isn't going to work for you as it, it, it once was. You are going to have to now toil. By the sweat of your brow, you're going to, have to, going to have to eat bread, thorns and thistles, and all this kind of stuff you will encounter. But then he tells them, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to labor till... He says, you go back into the ground. Because from the ground you came, and the ground you shall return. From the dust you were made, and that's where you shall go back in the end. If I have to put it away in, in, in a colloquial way, we are all, all dressed up dirt. Nothing more than just created beings with the breath of life that God has breathed into us. And so the same God that is able to breathe life is the same God that is equal to help us recognize that we are all equal. And the same God, by extension, that is able to heal every single one of our deficiencies. So church, if you're there with me, when God plays in the dirt, he's able to bring sight to the blind. When God plays in the dirt, he is able to stop all judgment and condemnation because he makes us to recognize that we are all but sinners, striving to live a life that's pleasing and acceptable in the sight of God. But number three, when God plays in the dirt, he has the ability to bring life to that which is life less. I don't know where you are right now in your life, in your journey, in your family life, in your marriage. I don't know where you are in your thinking because sometimes the perception is that we ourselves are dirt and we use it in a derogatory sense where we feel like if we have no value but in God's hands, he will take something that does not seem to have value to somebody else and he will make something beautiful out of it. If you have a prayer request, when I want to encourage you to come forward as together we stand and sing our song of invitation when God